Once again, welcome everyone. It really is a delight to see new faces and familiar faces this evening. And this evening, uh, I, I want to share with you some reflections on this quality of letting go, because it's, at least in early Buddhism, so fundamental. It's so intertwined with this, this, this process of, of freedom is letting go. And I want to begin with a poem, and it's a uh, it's a poem, yeah, that's around letting go. And it's it's a poem by the Zen master, uh, Zen master Hakuen uh, Ikaku, who uh, actually he was in the 17th, 17th, 18th century Zen master who was a part of the, um, was from the same Zen tradition that I practiced in and got ordained in. And he was a significant figure in Rinzai Zen. He revitalized Zen in a really important time and incredibly ardent practitioner. And also he was a poet and an artist. And as I'm sharing with you this poem, I'm gonna show you an image um, that goes with this poem. And it's an image that uh, Akuen Akaku had uh, also painted, but this is gonna come from a, a Japanese artist from the Meiji period, which is 19th or uh, 20th century um, uh, era. So let me bring up this image, see if I can do this. And the title of the poem is, uh, The Monkey is Reaching. And this is the, the image that goes with it here. Okay, can you see the image there? Maybe uh, give me a thumbs up. Thank you, Kathy, okay. So hopefully you can see, there's the monkey holding onto the branch, reaching down to the water to touch the moon in the water. So this is the short poem by Hakuin, the Zen master. Hakuin begins, the monkey is reaching for the moon in the water. Until death overtakes her, she'll never give up. If she'd let go of the branch and disappear in the deep pool, the whole world would shine with dazzling pureness. To let go, that's, that's what's needed, isn't it? To let go and to disappear into something much larger, much vaster. There we are, we're, we're holding on like the monkey. It, it, all it takes is just letting go. And this poem, what it evoked for me is this Pali word, this Pali word, uh, vimutti, and uh, comes from, uh, it's the uh, Pali word, Pali being the early scriptural language of, of Buddhism. And muti, muti, that part of the word, uh, means it's usually translated like uh, release or deliverance, like being delivered, you know, a deliverance from being shackled or tied down. You're, you're, you're free. And then the V, before the vimutti is, it's like, you're really free, really, really free. <laughs> At least that's the way I translate it. I should be cautious. I'm not a poly scholar, but that's my understanding. <laughs> and I, I, uh, I, I, the image that comes to mind around this is, it's like a hen that gets released from a cage. She is mutti, she's free. She's released from the cage and 
uh, in the spaciousness of the pasture. It's so sweet. And yet there's something more. With Vimuti, she's really, really free. So not only is she free to roam the pasture, she finally becomes released, delivered from the whole farm system. Like that's really free. She's free from the cage, it's, it's free, but Vimuti really free. You know, and there she is, she leaves the farm behind her and the, and the whole world, like Hakuin says, is now shining in front of her. This is uh, how the Buddha, I, I feel, speaks about letting go. When I let go, something opens. I, there's a deliverance. There's a release from bondage. And as I mentioned, it, it's, it really is a primary theme in Buddhism. It's, there's, there, there is a whole host of different words that are used for different flavors of letting go. Like, for example, sometimes when generosity is spoken about, which is foundational on this path, which many of you know, it's, it's often framed as this practice in, in which I can feel the joy that arises with giving away, with letting go. And that's the language that's used is like, oh, here's a chance to get a feeling sense of the kind of letting go we're interested in. One that brings happiness, that brings joy. And then in the world of samadhi, this quality of the mind being unified, being collected, it's said that it, it has a foundation. The foundation of samadhi is letting go. The, the mind's more unified when, when there's a letting go of the mind being pulled here and there. It's, it's collected. It's, it's, it's unified in some way. It has its basis, or it's said sometimes that its object, letting go. And then letting go of the sense of me, mine. As the Buddha says, whatever is not yours, let go of it. Your letting go of it will be for your long-term happiness and benefit. And what is not yours? And he goes on to say, really, basically everything's not yours, <laughs> right? There's nothing there. And this is pointing to the letting go of the sense of me and mine, the sense of self that can be so confining. And I, if there's time, I'll come back to this. It's, it, it, I think it's simply put by John Ruskin when he says, you know, when a person is wrapped up in themselves, they make a pretty small package. And I love that. I think it gets to the heart of it. It's like when I'm wrapped up in myself, there's confinement there. It's such a small package. You know what I'm talking about? And then the step out of that, it's like you, you take the steps off the farm, like the hen in that way. You're released. There's a deliverance. And then there's the culmination of letting go, you know, the, this akappa uh, chetto vimutti, which is the, the unshakable, it's unshakable release or deliverance of the heart. Like you are completely off the farm and you ain't coming back. Like it's, it's, it's a done deal. And, and I do want to point out, this is, this is, is foundational. It's, it's a theme that comes back. And, and, and I think with any kind of narrative framework, it's just one framework. And as a caveat, I, I sometimes I'm curious, what's the major theme or framework that the Buddha would be 
using today to teach us that would be effective. And I, I feel like that's something to keep in our hearts and minds is what's the language that speaks to me, that inspires me to free this heart and mind. So I'm not getting stuck with the words, but more the spirit of this whole path and practice. And, and the Buddha is clear about this, to have this, this practicality around the words and uh, notions that we're using. Like uh, there's, there's one part, part where he's uh, very clear that he's only interested in a letting go that supports that which is wholesome or onward leading in our lives. A letting go that doesn't support that, to leave it aside. And, and I, I find that's a really interesting question. Like if you were just to ask yourself that question right now, you know, what is the letting go that supports an onward leading direction in your life? What's, what's the letting go that would support that? What needs to be let go of? And I, I wanted to begin with this image of uh, these images of release of freedom because I know for me when I started this path and I've noticed this with with other practitioners sometimes all this language of letting go and some of the words that are used like renunciation or abandonment or disenchantment or non-attachment sometimes it can sound like a drag <laughs> like like it's some kind of vision of life in which we're no longer alive, some kind of vision of life in which we're no longer involved. Or sometimes it can give this notion that kind of like it feels puritanical to life, that it's, it should be filled with deprivation. And I want to point out that I don't feel like that's that's what the Buddha was pointing to. And I don't think that's what Akwa Nikaku, that, that Zen master, was was pointing to. You know, Akwa was was pointing to disappearing in a way that, so the whole world would shine. I think there's many different facets of letting go. And tonight I wanna uh, talk about um, just one, one of these. And I wanna be clear about the, the context that I wanna talk about it too, because I think this is important and, and I find this uh, important to remember as a practitioner is, I, I wanna talk about this process of letting go in situations in our lives that are easier to do it in. Where there's a difficulty or a difficult situation and beginning to explore it in that difficult situation rather than uh, beginning to explore it in the catastrophe that sometimes happens in our lives. And the reason for this is, is to refine this art of the Dharma, to, to refine this particular skill in, in the Dhamma. It's like the, the, the example that came to mind is, if you have the aspiration to climb Mount Everest or Annapurna or something like that, let's, work first on hiking to the top of El Mount Eldon. And if, the, if you're not in Flagstaff, it's you know this, this mountain that's just right outside of, of Flagstaff here. I begin there so I can learn the skill of ascending a, 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 a hill. So yes, this practice, as I think many of you know, it, it can support us in the most difficult situations. And I do think it's important to get a sense of how it can do so. 
And yet what I've noticed is I need to have a training ground where I gain some skill in this, this, these various aspects of the Dharma, this art. And I need to do that in less difficult situations. And then, then what I notice is that that skill supports me in the catastrophes. And maybe you've noticed this, I know I've noticed this, is that sometimes, have you noticed in your life, it's the, the string of the small challenging things that build up the, to the catastrophe. And if, I, if I'm navigating the smaller challenges with aspects of the Dharma, with at least some skill, it's gonna take the edge off of, of the buildup. So letting go these different facets. And, and, and I'd like to share with you reflections on just one facet. I think there's many facets, but just one facet. And it's the facet of what I'm gonna call setting aside, the, the, the practice of setting things aside in my formal meditation, but also quote unquote, off the cushion in my daily life. I, this has been such an important skill to learn and to have. And it's this practice of setting aside the aspects, for example, of my experience, that I'm finding not helpful or onward leading. And it's really simple. And I just wanna be so simple about it. Here's this rock. And right now it is in the way of me seeing you. There it is, like it's, it's right there. It's in the way. And, and what I need to learn to do is to set it aside just a little bit, just a little bit to, to over here, or to over here, right? Just a little bit to the left or the right, maybe back behind me a little bit. That's all I'm practicing is setting it aside. I, I find this an important skill and it's one that isn't talked about a lot, is how do you set aside the rock or the rocks that get in the way? And I wanna contrast this with another important way of navigating rocks in your life, especially when they arise in your meditation practice. And so many teachers talk about this. I talk about this a lot, which is the skill with, of being with the rock. This quality of being with what arises. Have you, for those of you familiar, have you ever had that meditation instruction? To, to be with what arises, to honor and to listen to whatever arises in your experience. Yes, to step out of the story and to be with it. Like when irritation arises, you're in meditation, you get lost in that story of irritation or that fear or that worry comes up. The first, oh, okay, fear. Step out of the story as best you can and then to feel into it, to, to get to know how it resonates, how it is there in the body. And there might even be some wisdom that you need to hear from that worry or that fear. You're slowing down sometimes even hearing from it. I wanna point out, this is a really important teaching. So I'm not saying that this practice of setting aside negates this other, other uh, practice. It's important to have multiple ways of navigating experience, not just one. And, and often uh, mindfulness can get boiled down just to one thing. There's so many ways of relating and navigating experience. And this is a great skill, don't get me wrong. 
And, but sometimes what can come with this when I've taught and encouraged people to set something aside is there can be this feeling like, well, if I set it aside, if I set that kind of anger aside or that fear aside, it means I'm, it might lead to repression or spiritual bypassing. And I really got to, you know, hang out with it so that I'm not repressing anything. And, and I want to point out, setting aside does not necessarily lead to repression or bypassing something. As long as it's, it's, there's some discernment of getting a sense when you need to be with what's arising and when you need to set it aside. And that's a skill that needs to be learned for a meditator. Oh, wow, this, this anger is something new for me. I really need to listen to it to get a sense of it. This irritation, this anger is coming up about for the 10,000th time. It's been like a thousand times that I've noticed it. I think I can just set it aside. Both are important. And yeah, there's a skill to this because I want to engage in setting aside in a way that's wholesome and onward leading. How I do that is I make sure that I also have the skill of being with. So I want to give an example of this, not of a catastrophe, but a difficult thing in daily life. You could say in, uh, off the cushion. A while ago, I had a, uh, a conflict with a certain individual in my life. She was a, a colleague. And <laughs> we were definitely not on the same page about a certain situation. It was uh, around a certain policy at an institution that we both taught at. And I can even feel it now, like, I had my views about the policy and of course, what happens to me, I think there were really good views and that they were right, <laughs> just to be clear. <laughs> you know, when I think back about it, it's, it is ridiculous how I can be so certain at these times. And luckily, I'm so, I'm so glad when these moments happen where there, there was just, I just remember pausing it's like all of it is just pausing. There is the important, uh, kind of an important recognition, which is, oh, my mind in some way is adding stress to this situation. And then I asked myself a question, which at times, I'm not saying it's always going to work, can be so interesting to put in there just to see what arises. Because it can be interesting, surprising what arises, is I asked myself, so what can I let go of here? Or in particular, what can I set aside? Okay, it might not disappear, but what can I set aside in this situation? And what arose is like, oh, you know what I can set aside? This is what I'm troubling myself about is it, it felt like I needed the outcome of this situation to go in a certain way. And that was my hook. That was the big rock that made it so difficult to see her in the situation. In other words, I wanted complete control. And I noticed just by having the intention of, I'm going to set it aside. And I want to say, point out, I was doing this reflection off the cushion. This is not, not formal meditation. Like there's a place to wisely re reflect in our lives. And what came with that is like, oh, it helped me clarify the things I needed to say to this individual from my own integrity. And then it, it like created a sense of ease. It's like I could listen to her more fully 
and feel like I, I said what I needed to around this situation. And I don't, I know, I, I don't need to be controlling about this. And yeah, there was still wanting my view to be understood and to go ahead, but it was over here and it made all the difference in the world. It's like I could partially set aside wanting the wanting of the situation to be a particular way and wanting that person to be a particular way. This is part of the path to set aside. It's like, then I get out of the cage. And when I get out of the cage, I can finally get off the farm. And as I said, when I set something aside, it doesn't mean it goes away. It's kind of on the table. And if I really set it aside, it's on the edge of the table. So then eventually it can fall off, which is so nice. What's important is it's no longer front and center. And there's a, a feeling of more space when it's not front and center, more space within an experience. And, and I want to give you a little bit of a taste of this, just, just kind of both visually and with sound of, of the kind of feeling that can come. It's not exactly this, but it's similar to this feeling that can come when you set something aside. So for example, wherever you are, I invite you to allow your, your, your eyesight, you could maybe do it around um, your device, but it might be good to bring your attention away from the device that you're looking at. Maybe there's a plant or a lamp, a pillow, some object. And I want you to look at that object that you can see that's around you. And as you look at that object, what I want you to begin to do is to relax your gaze and then to let in the space around the object. It's like you're allowing the eyes to let go of the object a little bit to take in the space around it. And then you can get a sense it's not only the object like the plant that you're seeing or the lamp, but then there's also the space around it. Can you get a sense of that and how it feels just a little bit different, your relationship to that object? It's all of a sudden not the only thing. There's space. There's a sense of release for me just visually at times when I just allow the gaze to relax. Seeing the space between me like, or taking that in and behind it maybe or around it. Or the sound of my voice, right? You can play with that same thing of, we're looking for this flavor in the kind of setting aside that we're doing. Like there's the sound of my voice and then you can take in the gaps in between the sound of my voice. It arises and then it disappears. And what's it like to also hear the silence between the sound of my voice coming and going? Can you feel more space, the spaciousness that comes with that? 
no longer is my voice front and center. It's like it's, it's held in a vaster field. This is what can happen with this practice of setting aside, you know, with, with asking this question of, what can I set aside here? What, what can I let go of here? And for me, when I'm setting aside, what's important is that I begin to contact the bodily experience because I'm, I'm actually engaging with this, even when I set aside, you know, the needing the needing to have a specific outcome in that situation, I'm softening and relaxing the body. Because much of what happens in my body around these dynamics is the body, it feels like it's clenching in some way. It's like clenching around that situation. And I, I find that the act of setting aside arises out of the softening and relaxing. So it's not just coming from the thought, oh, I want to set this aside. I'm, I'm also following it with a sense of easing, relaxing, so that it can happen. Just, just like if I have something in my hands, I'm just easing, relaxing the hand, you know, so there's more space around this rock that's, that's in the hand. This is this, is this quality of setting aside, the, the, the felt sense. And yeah, it's, it is true. It's more likely that the stone is going to fall away when I set it aside. When, you know, there's more of a possibility for the heart to truly let go. And the reason I, I use the, the phrase set aside instead of get rid of is that for me, it has such a different flavor to it. My habitual reaction is to try to get rid of my fears and my worries and resentments. Do you know what that's called? aversion, right? <laughs> that's pushing away. That's my, my obsessing, obsessive trying to get rid of. It has a very different feeling than just setting aside. And, and this is why the softening is so important for my body. So I'm not getting lost in aversion. I'm just like, oh, here it is. Here's, here's the stone. I'm just going to place it over here. I'm not fighting with this. It's a letting go, right? I'm letting go. This is why this other image of my hand is clutching that I'm letting go of the stone. There has to be some softness. And th this can really be helpful to, to practice around those habitual dynamics that maybe you've noticed again and again. And and we want to try it with the things that you're not so hooked by. Maybe it's, it's yet again that such self-judgment arises. No, I accidentally drop the jar, glass jar, on the floor. It breaks. It shatters. The arising of self-judgment. <laughs> what can I set aside here? What can I let go here? What can I just put over here? Oh, yeah, there's the self-judgment. Yeah, it's coming up to relax, to ease, to soften around that. It's still over there. Yep, that's what my mind's doing. But I'm not gonna go down that road. So what are the conditions that allow for this facet of letting go, for this setting aside? And I just wanna repeat some of this. One is if you heard in, in uh, the stories, 
I, I, I need to see if I can prime to allow that reflection to arise of asking the question, what can I let go here? What can I set aside? And then softening, relaxing, a kindness to myself. I'm, I'm not beating myself up around the grasping. So important. And I need to remember, this is a process. It's going to be different each time. Sometimes I can just put it down. Sometimes with some softening and relaxing, you know, there's an ease or sometimes it lingers for a while. Or maybe there's a softening and then it tightens again and then it softens and then it tightens. And maybe it softens and then tightens for years. And I actually need to be okay with that. I wish I could tell you that each way that I grasp after I set it aside, it just goes away after a few days. Wouldn't that be cool? I know I'm not a good salesman, I guess. <laughs> I just want to be honest with you. <laughs> My mind has habits, and I need to have that perseverance and patience to come back to this again and again and again. Because it, it takes a while for my, my body to get it. Like it, it doesn't happen, this letting go, just immediately. Like, for example, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I want to invite you to do a little experiment here, is if you grasp onto your finger, your forefinger with your, with your hand and to make a fist to really squeeze, be careful, but to really squeeze that finger and continue to squeeze it. I want you to squeeze that finger. Keep on squeezing your finger with your fist. And then as you continue to squeeze it, I want you to continue to squeeze, but then wiggle your finger out, wiggle your finger out. Come on, wiggle it out. And then just very gradually relax the hand. And do you notice, like for me, I wonder if this is an age thing, but my, my hand stays in that position there. And I, it like it takes it a while to kind of, oh, do that. Is that an age thing? Has everyone experienced that or is that just me? Okay, good. Katie's with me there. Good. <laughs> it's wild. It's like I can feel like, oh, my, my, my body's kind of got stuck in this grasping thing. It's going to take it a while to kind of, feel a different way of being in the world. I think it's kind of like that. And to also remember that sometimes, I want to be clear with you, sometimes this is not the appropriate approach. Sometimes I need to have self-compassion. I need to slow down like with the fear. I need to feel it in the body. I need to listen to it a little bit where I'm being with it in a different way, which is a little bit different than setting aside. I actually want to take a little bit more time here, if it's okay. And I apologize, my timing's a little bit off this evening. I want to come back to the, the poem. What's so striking to me when I, that image of the monkey, how she's holding onto the branch, with Huckwin's uh, description, she lets go, she let, uh, once she releases from the branch, she disappears into the deep pool. And this is such a, a theme that you find a, a way of describing our suffering in, in Buddhism is that 
what gets in the way or what creates much of my suffering is meanness, the sense of I, a sense of self that confines me, that, that I get wrapped up in like a small package. And you might notice when, when there's a hook that sometimes there are these flavors, these strands of me, my way, my view, my world. It can be so subtle. Saturday night, this is so funny, this happened Saturday night. <laughs> it's a little embarrassing, but Saturday night, I was thinking, oh, cool. I have some time to reflect on this talk on letting go. Finally, I just, I need some time for this. And then it was like something else arose that needed to be done. And it was like, damn it, like this just ruined my plans. <laughs> you know, I set aside this time. And, and then I could ask the question, oh, oh, that's right, I'm giving this talk. Maybe I should use this question. <laughs> what can I let go of here? Oh, oh, can I just set aside needing it to be my way? so helpful then i was able to give myself over to the task that needed to be done i can get so lost in my world lost in my story my way it's confining and yes i i want to name the complexity of there, there, there's a place for notions of self and 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 using those in a way that's onward leading so it is complex but i, I want to keep it simple in this manner and in zen master hakuin uh Again, he, he speaks to this. It's interesting. He, he is, is classic with Zen masters. Uh, right before he died at the age of 83, he uh, made this kind of calligraphy, this kind of large character meaning death. And then right next to it, he wrote this poem, which is striking. This is his death poem right before he died. He said, oh, young folk, if you fear death, die now. Having died once, you won't die again. What is he pointing here to? When I can let go being confined by myself, when I can let that self die, it's so relieving. I'm finally free. What could this look like? What could this feel like, like being free of our stories, my world, my role? And I'd like to end with a poem that I feel expresses this. It's a, a poem by the poet uh, Denisha Lomeras called Fictional Characters. And just to give you a little bit of a backstory, she's going to be talking about these characters in these fictional novels. So like Holden Caulfield, Catcher in the Rye, or Anna Karenina from Tolstoy's novel, Hector from Homer's Iliad. So she's talking about these fictional characters. She's really talking about us. This is how she begins. She begins, she says, do they ever want to escape, climb out of the curved white pages and enter our world? Holden Caulfield slipping, in the side door of the movie theater to catch the two o'clock. Anna Karenina sitting in the local diner, reading the paper as the waitress in a bright green uniform serves up a cheeseburger and a Coke. Even Hector on break from the Iliad takes a stroll through the park, admires a fresh bed of tulips. Who knows, 
maybe they were growing tired of the author's mind, all its twists and turns, or they were finally weary of stumbling around Pamplona, a bottle in each fist, eating lotuses on the banks of the Nile. Perhaps it was just too hot in the small California town where they'd been written into a lifetime of plowing fields. Whatever the reason, here they are, content to spend the day roaming the city streets, rain falling on their phantasmal shoulders, enjoying the bustle of the crowd. Wouldn't you, if you could, step out of your own story to lean for an afternoon against the doorway of the five and dime, sipping your coffee, your life somewhere far behind you. All its heats and toil, nothing but a tail resting in the hands of a stranger. The dingy sidewalk ahead, wet and glistening. Right, to let go of the confining world that we write ourselves into. Wouldn't that be relieving? Freeing, release, freedom. Thank you, thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.